kind of hard to uh, stand up and say anything this morning because I'm feeling a little overwhelmed with just how good God is. Um, I don't know about you, but this morning I've just had that impression that God really, He really loves you. He loves you as His kids. And this morning, before we try and do something or learn something, that God made you to be something, and He made you. And he loves you. And that's enough. And this morning, as, as we, we hear the word of God, I want, to hear, I want you to hear the heartbeat of the Father saying, he loves you and he cares for you, and that's enough. So be in that. Um, because so many of us are striving to fill the garden or fix something. And uh, we're so busy in our everyday worlds just trying to, trying to do so much stuff. And it's good, but God wants you to be something. And being is spending time with him because he made you, he cares for you, and he loves you. So that's, that's a good start. Secondly, I want to say thank you. I want to say thank you to the team that led worship this morning. Aren't we blessed? I want to say thank you to the team who set up this morning, who were here at 5.30 or 6 o'clock and set up. You guys are amazing. I want to say thank you for the children's church teachers who are imparting life into our kids this morning. I want to say thank you. They can't even hear me. I want to say thank you. I want to say thank you to the teachers who are here this morning. If you're in education, I want to say thank you. What you guys are putting into our kids is unbelievable. And what you guys are doing for our kids is, is unbelievable. It's honoring. So may Jesus be part of your, your, your classrooms the whole year. Um, so yeah, I look at teachers and some of you have got tears in your eyes. So. And today's a great day for me because it's my son's birthday. So that's a cool way to start. This morning, I want to um, share the Word of God around Simplify this morning. And uh, in the holiday, I was reading this book by Bill Hybels. I'd recommend it to anybody. It's called Simplify. It's a really, really good book because at the end of last year, my life was not simple. And it's funny, you start preparing a sermon over the Christmas holiday and life seems pretty easy. You know, you go from meal to meal. And um, suddenly the first week of term hits. I have a kid in grade one and life suddenly becomes a little bit less simple. So this morning, I'm not speaking from a place of, I've got this waxed. I'm speaking from a place that I've got a lot to learn, but I think all of us do. The second book I really want to look to is this one. This is a good book to read, and I recommend not reading it just this year, but, but every year. So those are the two books I'd like to share this morning. So how do we endeavor to move from a world that is crazy to being agents of simple faith? How do we do it? But Pete, you said to me, oh, we have deadlines. Pete, we have meetings. Pete, we have kids to drop off, dogs to walk. We have uh, social uh, media to update. We have stuff to do. We're busy people. And I say, that's cool. But let me tell you, busyness and godliness, they're not the same thing. This morning, we want to be godly people, not just busy people. Jesus said that he came that we may have life and life in abundance. But that doesn't mean busy, burdened, stressed, or strained. How do we live lives that are replenished, refreshed, full of hope, and full of life? How on earth are we going to be people of a quiet spirit who have deep levels of spiritual and emotional well-being, that we're balanced, but we haven't lost touch with the world around us? That's the challenge. And you know, I loved it last week. Pierre so beautifully set the scene. I'm going to recap because it's important. So does anybody remember the four points? You get this sucker if you remember the four points. You left it here, Pierre. Um, Pierre said we need to strive to enter his rest 
And I think that's such a beautiful thing is that we've got to work, cut out the noise in our system to enter God's rest. The second thing we need to do is to stay hungry and thirsty. We need to stay hungry and thirsty all the days of our lives. We need to seek him and live, that in him there's life. And finally, the one I love is that we need to be still and know that he is God. So if you weren't here last week, that's a 50-second catch-up on last week, but it was really good. So go and download the message. Let's open up in prayer. Father God, we come before you and we, we know, Lord, that you're the only one who can calm our, our spirits, Father God. And we know, Lord, that you're the one who said crazy things, that we could live meaningful lives in touch with you, that, Father God, that we could live a lives of significance, and that, Father God, that in this crazy world that we could have peace, Father God. And this morning, Lord, as we, as we read on your word and we learn from you, I pray, Father God, that you would settle our spirits, that you declutter our souls, Father God, so that, Lord Jesus, we can be people who are genuine agents of faith and of change, who live lives um, that, are, that are alive in you. We thank you, Lord, for that in Jesus' name. Amen. So, how many of you ever try to step out of your life and look back at it and go, well, there's Pete, you know, because in it, we don't even see it. And then sometimes we've got to look back and go, wow, that looks pretty, pretty hectic, you know. And uh, this is a moment of, of, of honesty for you. I've looked back at my life a few times and gone, wow, that looks like spazzing out. You know, he's going crazy. You know, it almost looks like we're on those elastic bands and it's about to go, blink. Um, how many of you can, am I the only one? Has anybody else ever had that where you feel like your life is spinning out of control? You might say, well, I'm working 60, 70, 80 hours a week, but don't worry, it's just a season. It's okay, we'll get through this. Or you look at your bills and they, they just mount up every month and you're like, someday we'll get over this. Or you think, I'll get to exercise next year. Or I'll, I'll get on a diet maybe next week. You know, and our lives, we just can't seem to catch them. We just, they seem to be running away with us. But I'd like to say to you that there's hope. Jesus says amazing things. He says to us in this Bible, he says, you can, you can abound in hope. So it's not crazy, it's, it's full of hope. That's a different stance. He says, you can live lives of peace. How many would you like to live lives of peace? I would. He says, you can be victorious. You can be abundant. Those are phrases I want people to say over my life. Instead of being exhausted, overwhelmed, overworked, and stressed, I'd love people to say things like that, where they say, you're abundant, you're victorious, you're peaceful. That's amazing. So this week, my son, as I said, started grade one. So his bag is twice the size of his body. Uh, his cap is too big, his shirt's too long, his shoes are too big, but he looks fantastic. And grade one is a wonderful time. Uh, anybody other parents here, where you, you take this moment to say, we're going to sort out his room. And uh, my son shares a room with my other son, who's four, and not as disciplined at keeping things in their place. So about once a week, a bomb explodes in my kid's room, and it's, it's chaos. It's just, yeah, yeah, we try hard, but it's, it's there. And almost that just, then we send, spend a whole night, and we, we put everything back in its box, and my wife labels everything, and it's, it looks amazing. So in that moment, you walk in, and there's that stress of like, oh, this is out of control. And we spend a couple of hours when they're asleep, and we put everything back in its place, and it looks wonderful. It might be a little bit like your kitchen after lunch. You know, it looks chaos, then you clean it, it looks lovely. Today, I want to say to you, the world is trying to clutter up your soul. And if we just leave it, our souls start to look like my kid's room. It looks like there's, you can't see the floor after a while. And God wants to say to us today, this is a moment in time where you can declutter your soul. 
You can put things back in line, and suddenly it all starts to make sense. And you know what's amazing is when you walk into the room when everything's in its place, you start to play with things. You start to enjoy things. When it's all a mess, you don't know where to start. But when it's in a place, you go, oh, I can play with the Lego. It's in the Lego drawer. And so often our lives are like it. And today, God wants to declutter our souls so that we can see it. So if you've got a Bible, please turn in it. If you've got a smartphone, open new version and go to Luke chapter 10. A bit of context on this passage of scripture. In three years of ministry, this is the only scripture where uh, Luke records an interaction where Jesus is telling someone to simplify their lives. And uh, he didn't do it to anybody. Jesus did this to a good friend. How many of you know that something, when it's really true and it comes from a good friend, it's, it's, it's very valuable? So Jesus had hundreds of followers. He had 12 disciples. And in the Bible, it says he had a handful of inner friends. Three of them were disciples. The first one was Peter. Yes. Then he had one called James. That's my son's name. And John is my dad's name. We're friends of God. And then three others were, were a family. They were called Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. Now stop. Can you imagine being called in the inner friendship circle of Jesus? Let that sink in for a second. There's six people in the Bible who said that those are his best chormies. And I think those must have been phenomenal people. Phenomenal people. So often we read the scripture about Peter and we see all his shortcomings or Martha. But they must have been amazing people for Jesus to call him his closest friends. So this morning, don't look at her negatives. Look at her as a positive. So they lived in a little suburb called Somerset West, just outside Jerusalem. They actually lived in a suburb called Bethany. But I think it's a bit like Somerset West. And uh, this incident in Luke happened when the demands on Jesus were, were growing. People were expecting lots of him. They wanted more. They wanted more time of his teaching. They wanted more healings. They wanted more ministry. They just wanted more of Jesus. Jesus was in big demand. Um, and everyone wanted more, 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 more. And in that culture at that time, it was, it was not allowed that you weren't, you were never allowed to turn someone out at your door. Hospitality was seen as a big thing. Frank's got the the Jewish root for it, but I, I'm not going to dare say that. But when someone came to your door, you had to welcome them in. I know a lot of people in this community who are very, very good at that. So today's story is about the older sister. She had amazing intentions. She wanted people to come in and feel comfortable, set them out a nice meal, make sure that all their needs were met. And I think that is a very, very noble thing. But no, Martha is noted on many occasions, or three occasions in the Bible, where she was the server. But amazingly, throughout the Bible, if we watch her journey, you'll see her grow in faith. Where her serv- serving is, when it mixes with faith, becomes a wonderful thing. So I suppose some of the key lessons from Martha's life is that when we get caught up with the details and the demands of our lives, we can sometimes forget the key reasons behind the actions that we're taking. And I think this morning, some of us are too busy with all the things we have to do and we forget why we're doing them. So let's read together. Luke chapter 10, verses 38. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to what he had to say. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all of the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, You are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, 
or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Don't you love these dynamics? So again, as I say, Martha was a phenomenal person. She must have been a phenomenal person because Jesus was one of her great friends. I, I, I think she was the sort of person that would go out of her place to make people feel welcome. Imagine being that person where you, your home is the place where everyone wants to go. I, I look at some of you around the room. I, I know when rugby's on on a Saturday, yours is the house we come to. You are Martha. Wherever you are around this room, that's you. And, you know, they're sitting there, probably in the lounge, not watching TV. I don't know what they were doing in those days. And the next thing, they get a knock on the door, and they open the door, and there's 12 dusty men. It's like, oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. 12 dusty men. And Jesus is saying, I want to pop in for a KO with my friends. I want some time out with you guys. And in that moment, Mary takes up, she takes her chair, and she rattles up to Jesus. And you can just imagine her. I sometimes see my wife like this with some of her friends, and she rattles up and she goes, oh, Jesus, wow, how's it going? Tell me about that miracle. Oh, Jesus, what about the kids? What did the kids say? Oh, Jesus, what did Peter do? Oh, that's so silly. Why does he always do that? Oh, Jesus, that's amazing. And, and it just starts to spiral into the spaghetti of conversation, and every man is going, but Mary just wants the details of what's happening with Jesus. She wants that heart connection with what Jesus is doing. And at that exact moment, Martha looks, I can just see her count them, one, two, three, four, five, and she starts to go, how on earth am I going to cater for all of this? She probably counts them all, runs to the kitchen, because there's no woolies in those days, you can't zip down for a meal for four for 150, you've got to start to make the things yourself, and she probably zips into her kitchen and starts to go, oh my word, how am I going to feed these people? How am I going to make Jesus and these heroes feel welcome? And I think... It was probably the time where she's probably in the kitchen and she sees Mary outside with Jesus listening and spending time at his feet and she's probably going, why isn't she helping me? She isn't helping me. She's probably got a wooden spoon and then every now and again she's just and hoping that Martha will catch the hint that the wooden spoon hit the ground or she starts to go, in our house it's a <clears throat> Pete and, and she's probably dropping these hints and more and more she's thinking, she's got the 12, she's, she's how am I going to cater for this? And finally, she snaps. In the stress, she snaps, and she walks out into the room, and she doesn't talk to Mary. She walks straight to Jesus, and she says, Lord, don't you care? How ironic. She goes straight to Jesus. She doesn't go to Mary. She goes to Jesus, and she said, Lord, don't you care? This is the God of the universe who left heaven to come and be with her. Lord, don't you care? This is the Lord who wanted to be her inner friend and would later raise her brother from the dead. Lord, don't you care? This is the man who has stepped out of ministry to come and hang out with her. Sometimes in our busyness, we lose perspective of the things that are most important. And what I love is I love Jesus' response. Most of us would have responded and said, Yo, you're right. Mary, get to the kitchen, go help your sister. And it would have escalated that problem. But Jesus doesn't do that. I can imagine him looking at her with her hands full of dough and going, Martha, Martha. Or in the South African way, Pierre, take a chill pull, China. Just calm down. Martha, Martha. And with kindness, he then says, you have been busy with many things. What he's saying, he's saying, Martha, you are overworked, overscheduled, and stressed out. And then instead of rebuking her, he invites her to something. He says, Martha, Martha, 
Whenever I stop by, it's not for food. I just fed 5,000 with a couple of pieces of fish and some bread. It's not to have great wine. I can turn water into wine. I came here for life-giving relationship. Let's start there. And then he says, few things are needed. In fact, only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it cannot be taken away from her. What I love is that Luke highlights that Mary's choice, spending time at the foot of Jesus, cannot be taken away from her. How many of you know the busy things in our lives have to be done over and over and over and over again? All the busy things, the demands of meetings and priorities and schedules and all that, they get done over and over and over again. But it says in the Bible that time with Jesus cannot be taken away from you. So that's the value of real relationship with Jesus. What are some of the points that we can pick up from this? The first is in verse 42. It says the following. It says, few things are needed. In fact, only one. Mary has chosen what is better and it cannot be taken away from her. The first is that we need to choose simply Jesus first. In John 14, verse 6, one of my favorite scriptures, it says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. When it says that, it says, I am firstly the way. When we have a relationship with Jesus, the way means we have a direction, we have a goal, we have somewhere where we're heading. We're not directionless, we're not aimless, we're not just frenetic and frantic, we're actually aiming at something. So the first thing he says, I am the way. How many of us need direction in our lives? The second he says, I am the truth. You know, so often in this world we we go on assumptions, but Jesus says, I'm the truth. I'm exactly what you need. Truth is something that's light and it's refreshing. And how many of you know when, when you speak truth, you have absolutely nothing to hide? So when we spend time with Jesus, we have nothing to hide. We don't have to sort of wonder and, and second guess ourselves. So he's the, he's the way, he's the truth, and it says he is the life. And it's not just that he's the author and the giver of life. He's the author and giver of our physical lives, our emotional lives, our spiritual lives, and our eternal lives. And when we choose Jesus, we get life in all of those areas. We get life in all the areas that we need to be in. So Jesus is the way to not only have life, but to be alive. And then finally, it says, no one comes to the Father but by me. That Christ is the only way that we can have access to the Father. So the first part to simplifying our crazy worlds is to make a decision. That Jesus is the decision we have to make. Is that we have to make a decision to follow Christ. But it's not a once-off decision. It's a decision that we have to do every single day. Because that's what a relationship is. It's building on it every day. I couldn't get married to Kate 14 years ago this week and say, well, I said I'd do 14 years ago, and well, you know, it's fine. I have to work at that relationship with Kate every day, and it gets better when I work at it. Secondly, we've chosen him, but we need to choose him every day. Matthew 6, verse 33. If you've got your Bible, why don't you turn with me there? Matthew 6, verse 33, it says the following. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. Verse 34, it says, But therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things, sufficient as the day is long. I'd like to say to you, the second part is that we need to choose Jesus every day. 
You know, we say yes to so many things in our world. If you're a parent, you say yes to kids' activities, to drop-offs, to school runs, to making lunches. To, we say yes at our, at our workplaces to meetings and urgent phone calls. And we say yes to so many things in our day. But how many of us say yes to God every day? How many of us say yes to spending time with God? In the Psalms, it says that the Lord delights in every detail of our lives. You know, He wants to be with us every day. We need to fill our hearts, our thoughts, and our desires to seek God first. And then it says in verse 34, it says, planning for tomorrow is a good thing, but not worrying about it. You know, I I love this because I love what God's doing here. He's saying, plan, strategize, put, put things in place. Because if you don't, the world will just fill it with chaos. But seek me first in all of that. So I want to say to you, the first part of this, and this is practical stuff, is to start right. Finding the rhythm of your day every day. Find your rhythm of your day where you connect with God. David woke up early. It said early in the morning he rose to spend time with God. Daniel spent three times a day. He would, he would break away and pray to God. Jesus would go up the mountain. I like that. And spend time with his father. I'm a trail runner. I like going up the mountain with God. But find that daily rhythm where you are with God. And the second is that I think you need a plan. You need a plan right. I think God wants us to be present in all of our engagements. But in order to be present... We need to be planned because often when we're not planned, we're not present. I love what Bill Hybel says. He says, the calendar is a tool for your growth and it's a question of what you're going to become. So he says, the thoughtful arrangement of your daily and weekly calendar is one of the holiest endeavors that you can take. What does your calendar look like so that you know that what you're becoming is what God wants you to become? So firstly, in my calendar, some of the things I think you should put in as well. The first one is connect time with God. Put it in your calendar. Why not? Everything else is in there. Put that time in there with God. In John 1, 14, it says, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. What it's saying is that when we spend time in this thing, this Bible, we get to know Jesus. So have you put time in to learn about Him in this place? And I think that's twofold. One is personal time with God. And the second is corporate time with God. This should be in your diary. This gathering should be in your diary because if it's not in your diary, it doesn't exist. And this is important because this is where God's word is being spoken. Second thing I have in my diary is four letters. It says home, H-O-M-E. Because the world doesn't want me to be there half the time. And if it gets to the end of my workday and I haven't got it there and a reminder say, come on, get on your bike, go. I'll just do one more email, or I'll do one more phone call, or I'll do one more thing. And we're robbing from that place of home. It's important for me to be present when I get there and to be um, available to the family. The third one I have is satisfying work. That should be in my diary. Now, many of you are employed like I am. I'm a, I work in the business world in Cape Town, and we signed contracts which said, I will work for you for these many hours a day. You know, in the Bible it says that we should be people who let your yes be yes and your no be no. And you know what? You signed a contract that said, I will work this. And you know what? As Christians, we should work that because that's honoring and that's what we've agreed to. And when we do it, we give our best efforts to that. But part of that is saying, I will work this, but I also will, you need to respect me that that's what I will work. And I'll give my best in that time. But then I'm going home to be with my family and I'm going to do my best there because God's also called me to be a priest there. The third one that's in mind is recreation. Not exercise, recreation. What do you do that revitalizes your soul. 
So for me, the first thing I did when I joined work this year was I booked my leave for the middle of the year because that reinvigorates my soul is to spend time with my family. It's important. Next, exercises. For me, that's an important one. What are the things that, you know, we are body, soul, and spirit, and God wants us to look after all aspects of our body, soul, and spirit. So if yours is a walk around the block, awesome. If yours is a run over the mountain, awesome. It's not all things to all people, but it needs to be in your diary. And finally for me, relationships need to be in my diary. Because if I don't carve out that time, I start to lose that connection I have with people. Then once we've planned it, you know what we need to do? We commit it to God because we say, God, these are the things you've given me. These are all the things that are in my hand. Help me to do the best I can with it, but I'm going to commit it to you so that you can do much with this. So, the world will fill our days with urgent things that can often take us off track. And planning your week will help you put your life back on track. And finally, I'd like to suggest to you that we need to simply live Him. So, we've simply chosen Him. We've simply planned to put Him every day. But here's the hard part, is to actually live that out. And to take Jesus with us. One of my favorite scriptures in the Bible is Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. I'm read it to you. It says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy... To offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. In the message, it says it this way. Here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life. You're sleeping, eating, going to work, walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embrace what God does for you is the best thing that you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit in without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention of God and you'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and then quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God wants to bring the best out of you, developing well-formed maturity in you. The key here is not to separate our worlds. Uh, The key here is to bring Jesus into your world and take him with you wherever you go. Because you know what? God cares about the tasks you do, no matter how menial you think they are. Jesus cares about the people that you act and interact with. That's important to him. Jesus cares about what you do with your time. He cares and he wants to be involved in it. And that's the part of being simple that takes the hardest effort is to say, Jesus, I want to bring you into my world. I want to bring you through my each and every day. So, What I'm going to do is I want to put up that scripture again, and I'm going to ask you to put your name in the front of it. It says there, insert name here. If you're a developer, you'd know what you need to do there. But here it should say, Pete, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it cannot be taken away from her. So I believe that our challenge for simplified living is the following. We firstly need to choose to have a real relationship with Jesus Christ. The second is that we need to plan to have a daily walk with him. But thirdly, we need to live him in every aspect of who we are and what we do. And when we do that, when we truly do that, when we bring Jesus into our worlds, it'll have a profound impact on our world. And you know what? We'll have peace. Because the author of peace is then within us and through us and in our worlds. Amen? Amen. What I'd like to do, I'd like to close in prayer. And if there's anybody here who, who feels that your life is a little bit spinning out of control, why don't you just 
put your hand up because I'm going to put mine up. And at the beginning of 2017, I want to pray for you that you start to say, Jesus, help me to reprioritize. Help me to know what those things are that are important in my everyday world and that you can use them for your glory. Can we do that? Amen. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. And Father, we want to thank you, Lord, for all that you've done this morning. We want to thank you, Lord, that your name is great, that Jesus is the name above all names. And this morning, Father God, at the front end of 2017, we want to say, Father, won't you reprioritize our worlds? Won't you make us people who, who put you first, Father God? Won't you make us people, Father God, who actively pursue the things that you want us to do? And Father God, won't you make us people who live you out in our ordinary, everyday worlds so that we can bring Jesus to the world that so desperately needs it? Father, we pray for your help. Father, we pray for your guidance. And Father, we pray for your Holy Spirit to go with us and and strengthen us in this pursuit of living simple lives and saying no to the things that are going to consume us and take us off, off course. We thank you, Lord, for that. I pray for each person here, Father God, that this would be a year where they'd get to experience and know you to a greater level, Lord Jesus, and where they get to know you and love you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Pete. Wow. Um, I encourage you all, make that.